Paul's letter to Timothy, his first, first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6. In the Pew Bible, that's page 1265, 1265. We're going to begin reading at verse 6 through to the end of the chapter where the apostle writes about godliness and contentment. It's another way to speak of finding rest for your soul and that's what Psalm 62 is all about. Verse 6, the apostle writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. 
For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. That's as far as our text goes. In response to the preaching, we'll sing from Psalm 56, the stanzas 3 and 4. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, most of us, I think, know about God's providence. That is, his, his care over the entire world. We know, and the scriptures teach, we confess it, that God upholds everything that exists by his will. Everything stays together, it hangs together because God wills it so. And we also confess that the Lord governs all things according to his great plan. His plan for the world, his plan for the church, but also his plan for our personal lives. Providence gives us perspective. And perspective gives us confidence in the future because we know that our Heavenly Father who loved us so much as to sacrifice His only Son for us, we know that He is in control and that everything happens for our good. We, we know these truths. So once you understand God's providence, it should be the case that we have no trouble being confident and being at peace in all situations, right? We would have no difficulty riding out the storms and waiting for the Lord. And yet that is not how life goes, is it? This past week showed us that once again. We found our hearts in a moment of time filled with anxiety, troubled by grief, burdened by 
questions, doubts, frustrations even. For some of us closest to Darren, it felt like, like a kick in the gut. Like all the air was let out of the tires. You, you feel deflated, you feel defeated. Your soul is aching and, and the confidence that you had, say, 10 days ago when everything was well, that confidence can be very badly shaken. And you wonder, where did it go? Why don't I feel as strong now in faith as I did then? And it can happen that these thoughts multiply. That when you're in one of these situations where you're, you're struggling with confidence, then a sense of weakness and disappointment overtakes. Maybe even guilt piles on top of the heartache and it brings you lower than before. Do you know what I'm, what I'm talking about? It's one thing to trust in the Lord's providence when times are stable, times are well, but it's quite another to do that when times are very unstable. And you wonder, you, you, you ask yourself, am I, am I a complete loser? Like, what's going on? Am I a failure as a Christian that I can't, I can't be confident and certain? Well, no, brothers and sisters. You're completely normal, if that's been your experience. Believers who have their confidence shaken and rocked, believers like that, that's quite a common experience. And one who experienced this more than most wrote Psalm 62. David, the man after God's own heart, the man who had the courage to face down lions and bears and a giant, Trusting only in the Lord shows us in this psalm that he also knows what it's like to be a wobbly fence. Shows us that the confidence of faith, it, it needs to be learned and it needs to be relearned and it needs to be practiced time and again throughout our lives. And that's what we're going to try to do together this morning as I bring you the word of the Lord under this theme training your soul to rest peacefully in God alone. Training your soul to rest peacefully in God alone. That's the message of Psalm 62. We'll see two points. Confidence cracking under pressure and then confidence surging through praise and prayer. Now the way Psalm 62 opens, we, we, we know that David, the writer, is in trouble. The psalm is not specific enough to tell us what kind of crisis he's in, but it doesn't really matter. It's not about the cause of this stress, but it's about what David does in the midst of the trouble. What does a believer do when, when threats come tumbling into his life and, and trouble hits? David opens with a statement, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. There's David waiting in silence. No talking, no words. 
Sometimes there are no words, are there? Something big and heavy may have hit your life like it did this past week. It, it, it knocks you off your feet and the only thing you can do is just sit in silence. That happened to Job. Job sat in silence, says the Bible, for a whole week, seven days. You imagine that? And his friends came and they sat with him. They just sat there. They didn't talk. That might have been the best thing they did for him. But David's silence here in 62, at the beginning of Psalm 62, it's something more than just being appalled at the circumstances. It's not just being stunned and shocked. For in this silence, we read he's waiting for something. He's looking. He's expecting. He's anticipating. He says that he's waiting for God alone. From him comes my salvation. So this particular silence happens to be a silence of confidence, of trust, of, of sure belief that the Lord is near and that the Lord will take steps to help David in his trouble. And David's confidence is well-placed. He goes on to give reasons for his trust. Verse 2, God alone is my rock. He is my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So right here, brothers and sisters, in, in verse 1 and 2, we have the first strategy for us believers when we are rocked by adversity. And that strategy is to fix your eyes on God. The trouble may be all around you in your life. The, the stress is circling and surrounding you, and it is natural to think about what's troubling you. But the scriptures say, don't think about what's troubling you, but focus on the Lord. Give attention to your Father at what He is for you, a rock, a salvation, a fortress. David uses certain images there, and you can imagine why. Well, David hid, in, hid many times in a rock and caves he knew their value as hiding places from the enemy, as protection from arrows or protection from storms, literal storms. David knew the security of a fortress, an armed stronghold on a mountaintop from which you could defend your enemies. In a, a storm, you wanted a, a rock, a large rock to hide under and keep you safe. And in a battle, you wanted a, a rock fortress in which you could fight the enemy from a protected place. Well, says David, that's who God is. He is this rock, this fortress, this salvation. But notice how personal David gets about this. He, he's not just describing God as, as any rock, but he says he's my rock, my fortress, my salvation. Therefore, I shall not be greatly shaken, says David, David's confident silence, it comes from this fact that the Lord has earlier committed himself to be God for David, to be help for David, to be David's father. And Christians today can say this exact thing with greater certainty and clarity. God is my father 
because of His Son, Jesus Christ. God is my help. I have seen the help He's given to me in the, the Lamb that He sent to the cross, the Lamb of God. The Lord is my rock and my fortress because He sent Jesus out into the storm of His own wrath to take on my own sin and suffer till the last drop of His life. He did all of that protecting me and protecting my life and protecting the life of, of our loved one who was taken from this life two days ago. He's our help. Therefore, I will not be greatly shaken. David adds that last part in verse 2. I shall not be greatly shaken. And that gives us an important insight for battered Christians, people under pressure. We should not expect never to have our faith disturbed or shaken. We are weak. Even the strongest believers, even a, a giant killer like David, are in themselves without power, and our faith is it's prone to falter. That's the way we are. But God's promise to us is not that we will never be rocked, but his promise is to be a rock for us in the trouble. His promise is that we will not be greatly shaken. The cracks may show and the bruises will be there, but God will not allow the pressure to break us. And David knew all about pressure and how the stress can get to you. He writes about that in verses 3 and 4 as he turns his attention to his enemies now. He says, how long will all of you, and he's talking about his enemies, how long will all of you attack a man to, to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. David feels battered. David, the, the shepherd who had face down lions and bears, he's now feeling like a wobbly, a wobbly fence. He uses that analogy, a shaky wall, a tottery fence, because it was common practice in those days when attacking enemies took a city cities were usually surrounded by a protective wall, they would try to pull down the walls. They might use battering rams to loosen it, knock it. They might use an oxen to pull out some of the key stones so that the whole thing would become weak and collapse. At a certain moment, when, when a, a wall like that has been battered and yanked long enough, it begins to, it begins to teeter and it begins to lean and it's just about on the verge of falling all the way over. Well, David says, that's me. How long are you going to keep coming at me? I'm just about done. Do you see what has happened to David? 
It's something that happens to all of us or can happen to all of us. As David turned to look at his enemies, he took his eyes off the Lord and his attention was concentrating on what was attacking him, on the source of the grief and the trouble. And then his confidence began to fade. In verse 1, he's calm, silent, waiting for God's deliverance. But now in verse 3, he breaks his silence. He shouts out anxiously with questions and there's fear in his voice. How long? Isn't that what we do? We, we, we find ourselves in a time of trouble and there's enemies of various kinds surrounding us and our sorrow and sadness and brokenness are the only things that we can see. And worry floods our hearts along with frustration maybe and even anger and we come with our questions, why? Why me? Why now? How long must this go on? Am I ever going to get out of it? And, and, and how am I going to get through it? I can't manage this. I'm not going to make it. We are teetering. We are almost over. It's so very easy for our confidence to slip and be replaced by doubts and questions because our troubles have all our attention. That's confidence cracking under pressure. Brothers and sisters, that's not unusual. You're not less of a Christian if you lose the sense of God's favor for a time. God's nearness, not at all. But as Christians, you and I, we need to learn to get the confidence back. That's the the upshot of Psalm 62. For the Holy Spirit did not leave David there in his fears facing those enemies. There's a turning point in the psalm. It comes in verse 5. And what happens here in verse 5? Well, David, he turns his attention away from his enemies back to the Lord. This whole stanza, five, verses 5 through 8, it focuses on praise and prayer to the Lord alone. And you can spot that word alone or only multiple times for God alone, O oh my soul. Wait in silence. He only is my rock and my salvation. It's, a, it's an echo of the opening verses of the psalm. It's the same verbs, same adjectives, same metaphors used to describe David, used to describe that David finds his salvation in no other place than in the Lord. That's how we regain our balance, our footing. We train or retrain our eyes back on the Lord. That's how David's confidence began in verses 1 and 2, and that's the only way to get it back. We have to look again at the Lord and all that he is and all that he's done for us. You've got to convince yourself to place your trust first and foremost in the Lord. Only the Lord can help. Only he is rock. Only he is fortress. And only by waiting on him will we not be disappointed. And that is not easy either, is it? How natural is it for us to look for some way to take control of the circumstance and help ourselves 
or find some way out of this situation to put our anxious hearts at ease in a way that doesn't involve trusting the Lord. There's always that temptation. We'll do it ourselves. If I'm diagnosed with an ailment or a disease, I look to the doctors, I look to drugs, I look to natural paths, they will help me. If I'm uncertain about how to afford retirement, I can look to the stock markets or I can get a higher paying job to make things okay. If my reputation is being ripped to shreds on Facebook or at school, I can fight back by putting my story out there too. Get my narrative out there. If my child no longer wants to hear what I have to say and goes his or her own way, I'll get a family member to talk to them. I'll get an elder to persuade them. I've got my insurance policies to cover me in case of injury or accident. I've got my cell phone to rescue me in case of emergency. I've got the social security programs the government provides if I really fall flat on my face. And so we can calm ourselves or try to trying to find peace in all these things. It's very human to use these available tools to grab onto them for dear life and hope against hope that it will all work out in the end. But beloved, you, you will not find lasting peace in any of those things. Your heart will not find in those things a fortress, a rock, salvation, for each of those things can and will fail at a certain moment. There's only one unassailable source of help. There's only one God, there's only one rock who is dependable in all things, in all situations, and we need to learn to, to own him as our God, confess him, and to place our whole life in his hands. And to do that, you have to, you have to talk to yourself. You know, the world says you have to listen to your heart. Well, the Bible actually says you need to talk to your heart because your heart will often deceive you. You have to talk to your heart with gospel truths and tell yourself gospel truths like David does in verse 5. He talks to his soul, Oh, my soul, wait for God alone. So that's what we need to do. For God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. Put, my, put your hope in him, my soul. Don't put your trust in medicine or science or technology. Oh, my soul, go ahead and make use of insurance policies and keep your cell phone and, and text where it's needed, but do not depend on any of these things, oh, my soul. Do not think that without them you will be lost and hopeless. Do not think that medicine will be your savior or financial security will be your ultimate security. Oh no, my soul, look to God alone. Look to Jesus Christ, the mighty rock, and find in him alone your refuge. David's confidence, which had been greatly rattled, it, it starts coming back as he 
focuses on the Lord. As he lists God's qualifications, as he praises God, that's what praising God does. You, you describe his character and the things that he's done. And it's almost, when you look at those verses five and following, it's almost like looking at a resume. If you're an employer and you want to hire somebody for a job, somebody to work in your shop, let's say, you hope to find somebody with just the right qualifications. You're looking for someone with, who's a skilled tradesman, lots of experience, hardworking, loyal, trustworthy. Well, that's the guy you want. If you spot a guy like that through the interview process, you, you go after him, you hire him. That's an employee you can get excited about. Well, even more so when it comes to the living God. I have a need. I need a Savior. The question is, can God, Father, Son, and Spirit, can God save me? Can He help me in my crisis? This is the question at bottom that disturbs our confidence, that rattles us and causes us to be that tottering fence. And then the answer is so loud and clear from Scripture. Is God qualified? He's super qualified to be Savior. How about ability? Unheard of ability. Experience? He's got tons of experience at saving people. Track record? Flawless. Has he ever let someone down? Never. Does he grow tired? Absolutely not. Has he failed somebody? No. Loyal? Beyond a fault. Of course, God can be trusted to bring help, to bring deliverance, to save. So it's through this praise of God, this listing, if you will, of his resume, that David's confidence surges. Verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. In verse 2, he had confidently said he would not be greatly shaken. But now there's more confidence. I won't be shaken at all. I'm back on my feet. God has brought me back to a place of confidence. And in verse 8, he now reaches out to the people, to the church, with his blossoming assurance, and he says to the congregation, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You can only call others to trust in God when you yourself have that solid trust. And David is back on the rock and he says, come and stand with me on the rock, my people. I'd like you to take notice of that second exhortation in verse 8. Pour out your heart before him. Did you know? that God wants you to pour out your heart. Whatever's in your heart, pour it out to Him. That it's perfectly okay to speak to Him as David did about what's bothering you. That He wants you to speak to Him about your troubles and sorrows. Bring Him your questions. Bring Him your frustrations. This is a... a a tool, a gracious tool that the Lord provides to help us get back on our feet. This psalm talks about silence, 
but also about speaking and even streaming out our thoughts, concerns, and difficulties before the Lord. Your Father is eager to hear your prayers, eager to hear your pleas and requests, eager to meet your every need. It's a fine balance, but the strategy for renewing confidence that's been badly shaken, the strategy goes like this. First, take some time to recall God's qualifications. Who is this God you worship? Who is he? What has he done? Think about that for a while. Praise him even for these things, and then pour out your troubled heart to your rock, and after you've let it all out, you wait quietly, you wait patiently, expectantly for the Lord to fill you again with peace, assurance. It'll come. Then your problems, your enemies, your difficulties, they won't look quite so impossible anymore. And all those other things that you may have been tempted to put your trust in, they won't look so strong, not when you compare it to the track record and the qualifications of the Lord. That's the message of verses 9 and 10 of our psalm. David, once more, he turns to look around him at the human beings, but this time he's not afraid of what he sees, nor is he impressed by their strength. He finds in, in these people neither reason to be nervous nor reason to place his hope in them or things like them. For he says, all human beings together, they are like a breath. They're lighter than a breath. They're just whoosh, gone. Technology, medicine, insurance, money, power, fame, What does it all amount to in the end? Paul wrote about it in Timothy. These are no saviors. And David writes about it in verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. If human beings are lighter than a breath, then whatever humans produce can also be nothing more than a breath. Here today, gone tomorrow. And none of those things have what God has in spades, and that is this, love. Love. That's the closing note of this psalm. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. And that's a poetic way of trying to underline the importance of what he's about to say. That power belongs to God and that to you, O oh Lord, belongs steadfast love. You've got the power and you've got the love. Unfailing, steadfast love. Till now, the psalm has focused on God's power, his ability to save. But what is power and ability apart from motivation to actually save me in particular? How do I, 
how do I know that that great powerful God is interested in me and that he's going to use his power for me somehow? How do I know that? Well, I know that because this powerful God loves me. He has compassion for me. David has twice heard this. His Lord, our God, is a loving God who has made a solemn vow to love and keep and protect us. It's a vow that he sealed in the blood of his own son. He gave up the life of his own son so that love for us, his love for us, would never fade away. God has always been at hand to extend his love to his chosen people, to, to help them in their sorrows and sufferings, to pull them through adversity, to protect them in their battles, and be for them a rock of refuge. So what are we going to do, brothers and sisters? Well, we're going to do this. When I am down, when I am afraid, when I am discouraged, when I am rattled and shaken, I'm going to pause and I'm going to remember something. I'm going to remember that my Lord and my God possesses all the power and he's devoted to me with all the love. The proof is in Jesus. Then I will find my soul at rest again, at peace again. Then I can again wait in silence for his deliverance to come. Amen.